Footnotes, the podcast that keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture so you can talk about it with your friends. I'm Shannon, and Courtney is feeling sick this afternoon, <laughs> so I am joined by Andrew. How's it going? <laughs> and we're going to talk about Elton John um, in anticipation of the movie Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Yeah, Rocket Man. Courtney isn't here for me to force her to sing all the Elton John songs, which is kind of disappointing <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, to get started, though, I think we wanted to talk about some news items so we can keep you up on the latest in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Andrew, you want to tell us what our first <laughs> Yeah, is? so uh, it was announced that, because Star Wars has had so many balls in the air with uh, regards to what future projects are going to be coming out, because like they gave Ryan Johnson a trilogy, uh, they gave the yeah. Game of Thrones showrunners a trilogy. They also had like an Obi Wan and a Boba Fett movie kind of a development. They have since indefinitely postponed the Obi Wan and Boba Fett movies. Um, and I did actually hear the other day that there is going to be an adaptation of the popular. Uh, Star Wars video game Knights of the Old Republic. Yep. And I believe that's going to be Ryan Johnson's uh, trilogy. Um, that was speculated for a while, too, yes. so good Which job, fans. I can't wait. For, I've only <laughs> played a little bit of Knights of the Old Republic. I, I, it, it was until my Xbox. I haven't, I haven't finished it. But by all, mean, by, by all accounts, it's amazing. I've really enjoyed what I've played so far. Nice. Um, but it's set, like, thousands and thousands of years before any of the events of Star Wars in, like, a completely different galaxy. Um, mm. Like, I say completely different, like, not like, it, here's Star Wars galaxy, and then 3,000 light years away, there's this one. Like, it's the same galaxy, but it's just so different based because of uh, time and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I would be really excited for that. The biggest news was that the Game of Thrones showrunners, uh, DB, oh no. David, <laughs> David Benioff and um, D.B. Weiss, I want to say. I think that's who it is. I feel bad because I you know, finished you Game it. of Thrones and everything. And <laughs> I, feel like a, I feel like a bad Game of Thrones fan because I don't know their names. Most, of their peop- most people are saying their names in... Uh, yeah, uh, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff. Yes. Who is married to Amanda Peet? Yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but um, so many fans are using their names... Uh, and spitting when they say, kind of like a, <laughs> kind of like an old uh, Russian woman or something. Um, I know, I know. We probably can't talk about the Game of Thrones finale because it hasn't been long enough, and we don't want to spoil it for people. I have not watched any of the show. Uh-huh. However, um, my mom loves it, and so I read the ending because I wanted to talk to her about it. Sure. How did you feel about it? I liked it. Uh, it was fine. Okay. Like it was fine. Like yeah. I, um, there have been so many complaints about the last two seasons of Game of Thrones. I don't know where your mom falls on this, um, as far as well. Weirdly, I feel like she liked all of the episodes. Is this latest one, season eight? Yes. She liked all of those episodes up until the last one, and then she said, "Oh, it was so disappointing," and it was kind of ranting to me about it. 
Um, I actually liked it. I understand why people might be disappointed by it. Um, I guess we can't really talk about it. (laughs) Well, uh, can we though? It's like all over, like... If you don't watch it, you're not going to be like, well, I was going to watch Like, you've probably yeah, seen it, but why. it's kind of like an endgame type of thing. Like, if you're not going to see it the first two weekends, like, you can't you, you can't sit there and be well? like, no, spoilers. Yeah. Like, people have seen it. Like, if you're going to see it, you're going to see it, yeah. I feel. So, the decision of who actually wound up on the throne, I guess I won't say it. <laughs> I understand why people are like, what the heck? But... There's a lot of subtext to it that yeah. isn't talked about on the show, which I think in a normal length season would have been. Which is what people's main complaint is, that it's very truncated and very rushed feeling. But, and if George R. R. Martin had finished the series so that they got m- more... I don't know. I just think about Harry Potter and how <laughs> J.K. Rowling, they started the movies before that ended, sure. but J.K. Rowling was like, you cannot take out that character because that's going to matter, matter two movies from right. now, and you need to throw in this because that's, and she was kind of guiding them along the way. Because George R. George R. R. Martin has not finished the book on mm-hmm. his own and figured out how yeah. all this is going to tie together, he seems like at least he left it to showrunners who don't have all that context, haven't spent as much time thinking about these characters. And, he and definitely, that's unfortunate. He definitely gave them kind of like points to hit, but there's such a big difference between like, this is kind of where I see this, the series going, and like, yeah. no, 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 this has to happen, this is this, and all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah. And there are, there are some big changes from the books. I haven't read the books, but uh, in reading the Ringers coverage, I feel like I have. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, uh, but there but there are some fairly big character changes that are fairly important to the main story yeah. that are different from the book and the and the show. Um, that as of right now, the books haven't been completed. We've heard rumors b- between George R. R. Martin hasn't finished them, uh, all the way up to he's basically done with them. But there's some agreement with the show that. Uh, he won't release them till the show's over, um, to kind of like let the show be its own thing, and then be like, okay, well, this is the books. Yeah. Um, so I didn't mind the ending. Um, I understand when people think it's rushed and truncated. That's not been my personal experience, but that's because I watched all the episodes in, basically in four weeks. So, like, I watched, like, 67 episodes within four weeks. So, if I was... We were watching, like, three episodes a night. That's kind of what it came down to. Yeah. So, it was, like, if something... If, if there was an episode in, like, season one or two where nothing happened, we would just turn to the next episode and something would happen. So, there's, a lot of people are talking about how rushed and uh, everything feels. And I understand that because... I, but I don't... That's not my experience just because I also rush to watch it. So everything feels kind of... I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. But I also, like, I understand that that's my own viewing. That's my own kind of thing. So if... And I understand how people would be like, well, yeah, there should have been more build-up. There should have been this and this and this. I get that. I don't want to take that away from people. I didn't mind it. Um, I don't think it deserves the 4.4 it has on IMDb right now, which is really <laughs> harsh. Um, but I do... It's just harsh overall. Well, there's that, yeah. and also, there's kind of an element of its ending, and it had to end. Like, yeah. um, The Ringer, I mentioned The Ringer a couple times, I like reading their coverage and stuff, 
they wrote an article that was basically saying that in the end, Game of Thrones became a TV show. That was kind of its undoing, is that it had to end. It had to hit beats and stuff. Like, you yeah. can't just... You can't... It broke so many conventions in the first couple seasons, yeah. but then succumbed to those... <coughs> those... Uh, not temptations. <laughs> and it's succumbed, it succumbed to all those tropes at the end, because it had to. It's a TV... It has to end. And... Um, there's that stupid petition with like a million people have signed as of now to like reshoot. I, I, I would get over it. I people. would donate to a Kickstarter of a reality show where somebody picked from somebody from HBO got like eight of those people who signed the petition, put them in to a room and said, you guys finish it yeah. and then see how quickly they just like found out how impossible that would be to yeah. do. Well, with the number of like major franchises or storylines that are finishing this year, mm. I knew something was bound to fail. <laughs> and once Endgame was so good and felt so satisfying, at least for me personally, but it feels like a large amount of the Marvel fans, mm-hmm. um, I Star Wars is coming out, yes. and I I'm like something's gonna fail. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I do watch Star Wars. So right. I'm like, if any of them had to selfishly, I'm like, well. Please let it be Game of Thrones. Yeah, the, we'll the, see. The, the writing was definitely on the wall for Game of Thrones because there have been so many people who hated season seven That's and too season bad. eight was kind of hated as much. So it's like, that makes sense. The last two Star Wars films have been really hated. Um, so it's time to It's going back to J.J. Abrams. Was, so okay, it's like. The I would say is, but I don't. People didn't like Solo either. There was a there oh, was an online. There, I don't even yeah, sorry, count Solo. Solo. Um, there was there was an online campaign recently that came out like this week. I think that was like make Solo two happen or something like that. There's a lot of people pushing oh, for yikes. a sequel. Um, there was actually there was actually so there was those behind the scenes photos that were released on Vanity Fair. There was like a whole photo shoot for it. Really cool. Um, there was a picture yeah. of Carrie Russell's character who's going to play like some bounty hunter, some awesome. So looks so cool. And I think now it's going to be the next um, episode where I mention this, but I saw her and Adam Driver together live. Oh, boy. <laughs> and now I'm kind of hoping they're in love in Star Wars too, but probably not. <laughs> anyway. Um, but there is, like, the, somebody pointed out that one of the axes that one of the Knights of Ren was holding uh, in the Vanity Fair photo shoot was the same axe that was in Paul Bettany's room in Solo. Um, mm. So they're like, even the Knights of Ren want Solo 2 to happen. Um, I could see Star Wars being hated because there's nothing that Star Wars fans hate more than Star Wars Um, (laughs) so I could see that happening I mean Avengers really did have a lot going for there was a lot of goodwill going into it in game like like, there was there was going to be at least one that did fail I think Game of Thrones is going to be a real hard fail I do think Star Wars is going to be a pretty decent ending one that's probably mixed because there's going to be. Crossing my fingers. <laughs> I I don't know why I trust J.J. Abrams to end it. I shouldn't because he did start Lost. I don't like. I mean, if we're talking about other news items, they're in. I want to say it's that same Vanity Fair coverage, but he said that he after Last Jedi felt like he could go a little more rogue, like be a renegade on this one, and not when doing First Awakens, he felt like he had to remain really true to what Star Wars has done so far and so he was kind of hitting these familiar beats and this time around he said well 
I didn't feel the need to like stick. I mean, he does this with movies. Like JJ Abrams well, really to your good. face. He's really good at lying to you. He <laughs> that too. <laughs> swore up down and sideways that Into Darkness wasn't going to be Khan, and it but was just Khan. But a more unconventional JJ Abrams, I think, is what I want. Like I know he's very good at what he does, but for these remakes, he also. Um, like really plays on nostalgia and kind of does yeah. the same old thing we've seen, which is not what I wanted either. So, like noted film lawyer J. talents, <laughs> but a little more unique and like <laughs> adding, bringing new stuff to the Star Wars franchise. I think would be good. It would be good, but. and I would like to see that. That's what I loved most about Last Jedi was kind of how different it was from what we had. And for I really liked Force Awakens, but I liked Last Jedi way better because it was like yeah. it's familiar, but also different in so many great ways. I don't know that I'm... I, am I in the minority in that one? Is that the minority position to take? <laughs> for which? For Last Jedi. Like, I know that there's a lot of hate. There's a lot of loud oh, people who it. hate it, but I also know a lot of people that did like it. I love so it. So I, yeah, I love <laughs> it too. Um, I would say it's like, it seems pretty split to me, it's, but I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of loud people that didn't like it, though. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> Coming back around to the news I, well, yeah, <laughs> I feel like but, we probably yeah, got away from <laughs> the Game of Thrones showrunners doing Star Wars in 2022, right? That's when they're. I think that's when the first one comes out. Yeah. So were we like happy about that or worried about that based on what has happened with Game of Thrones? Here's the here's <laughs> the thing. Like, I don't know how much of the original Game of Thrones when it was quote unquote good. I had thought it was good the whole way. Yeah. But I don't know how much of that was, like, the text that George R. R. Martin set up. Yeah. And how much... Because, I mean, there, it's it, it, you can't just adapt a book and it's automatically good. Yeah. Like, we've seen, like, Percy Jackson and the Olympians is a perfect film series where there are great books, <laughs> terrible movies. <laughs> yeah. Like, really, really bad. Like, you took this really cool concept and, uh, and intellectual property and you ruined it. So, like... You can't, it's not just a given that you can take a good IP, put it on screen, and it'll be good. Yeah. So, I, there are a lot of people like, oh, but this Game of Thrones has been so bad. But it's just not been as good as what like Game of Thrones was, which was the perfect marriage of yeah. great intellectual property plus really well-told story, which was the showrunners. Yeah. So, I'm cautiously optimistic yeah, give him credit I, where credit is due. Because the, fir- the first part, like, that wasn't just... Like, George R. R. Martin wasn't sitting on the set, like, right. designing everything, directing everything. That was those guys. So, yeah. you have to give them credit for what they did well, even if you don't like what they've done when it's just been them and some bullet points from George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Like, they were kind of put into this universe. They had to end it. Yeah. And they didn't have a clear vision. They didn't have it written down for them. So they yeah. made their best guesses. Yeah. And it maybe wasn't quite as compelling as what it was in the beginning. But they still did a great job with the beginning stuff. So it's like... I'm cautiously optimistic because... I've also seen some behind-the-scenes interviews with them where I'm like... Oh, that was just a really cheap shortcut that you took. Um, I know you haven't seen it, so this will kind of sound like... gobbledygook yeah. what I'm about to say. <laughs> but there's a moment where... Uh, Daenerys is returning to uh, Storm's End. Um, I know about this song. Yes, and she's <laughs> returning with her two dragons. Yeah. And then one of the dragons is shot out of the sky by um, Hot Topic Come to Life, Euron Greyjoy. <laughs> um, and 
he shoots this dragon out of the sky, and the the one she asked about it, the showrunner said, "Well, she forgot about the Iron Fleet," and it's like she just forgot about it. Like <laughs> to me, I'm like, that's the kind of thing that makes me go, "Ooh, maybe not." But like, I am encouraged by them because it's like they also did some great stuff. Yeah. So I'm not one of the people who's grabbing their torches and pitchforks to. Like be like, don't let them have Star Wars. Because <laughs> the one thing I love about Star Wars is letting is seeing other people's visions. Yeah. Like, that's what I loved about the Mission Impossible franchise. I know I'm really going off the rails here, <laughs> but Mission Impossible before, um, and I really like Christopher. Or no, it is Christopher Marcus, isn't? What's his name? Shoot, no. Christopher McQuarrie. Yep. Christopher McQuarrie. <laughs> I've really, really enjoyed those films that he's done. But what yeah. was so cool about Mission Impossible was they gave it to a different director every time until Christopher McQuarrie took it over. Mm-hmm. And so you got to see these different looks. It was it was kind of what I want to see for the DC universe, which is... Well, it is what the Marvel universe has done. Recently. Yeah. Like, that was phase Taiko three. Titi and yeah, Taiko Titi and, and Ryan Coogler. And, like, People letting... With really unique, exactly. like, their distinct, like, vision and voice. Letting it. them flex their muscles. Yeah. And that's what... So, the first Mission Impossible was Brian De Palma, so it was, like, this... It was, like, this really taut thriller. The second one was John Woo, so it was this ridiculous action movie. Yeah. The third one <laughs> was J.J. Abrams, so it was very J.J. Abrams-y. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth one was Brad Bird, which was awesome. The fifth one was then Christopher McQuarrie, and he brought a whole different style to it, and he's now doing the next two as well. So it's like, what was so great about the Mission Impossible franchise is we got to see these same characters, these familiar characters, but we got to see them through different directors and different storytellers. And that's what I want for Star Wars. I want to mm-hmm. see different things. We're going to see John Favreau's version of it with the Mandalorian TV show that he's doing. Yeah. We saw Ryan Johnson's, and it was awesome. We saw J.J. Abrams. We saw George Lucas's in the prequels. We saw, uh, we saw, uh, well, it was George Lucas and a bunch of other people with the original trilogy. It was really good. So that's what I want variety. So I'm okay with them taking it. Yeah. Even though it's, even though there are a lot of people who <laughs> are not okay with them. Yep. So that was the really long way of saying, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing that's happening. <laughs> um, and then quickly to our other <laughs> news item, <laughs> as far as, oh, that's a thing that's happening, um, is that I guess, like, since we last had an episode two, so a trailer for the Sonic the Hedgehog live action film Ooh, got released. Boy. It has poor James Marston in it, who can do better. And Jim Carrey. Can I love James Marston, but can he yes, do better? Yes, he can. Uh, <laughs> Dead to me, Andrew. I know you don't want to watch it now. Oh, that's but true. He, he is, is so he good He did just it. show up. And, that's right. Okay. He's okay. really great. Right. He's good in Enchanted for like what the role calls for. Oh, uh, he was great he's in like, Enchanted. very great in Enchanted. But he anyway. Chooses, he chooses weird stuff. Like, yes. He, he was the, he was the, the, the husband in the Superman Returns in Superman Returns, oh, and it was like he was not <laughs> <laughs> he was so close to Superman and yet so far away, and then he was Cyclops, and that was so close and so far away. I like him as Cyclops. Anyway, anyway sorry, not the point. Not the point. <laughs> um, so this trailer comes out. Um, it Jim Carrey's making some interesting decisions. They I'm use... all about I'm all about Jim Carrey. That is vintage nineties <laughs> oh, Carrey that I am all about. I don't like vintage nineties <laughs> Carrey, but. Um, then you had 
Gangster's Paradise playing in the trailer. There were a lot of so interesting decisions is the point. But the worst of them all that like brought all the Sonic fans into an uproar is that Sonic doesn't look like Sonic. A Sonic, you know, as video game character has, I don't know, like bigger eyes. Like looks very cartoony. And this is kind of... I don't know, them trying to make him look more human or like more realistic to fit into I guess this they were, live action setting. Yeah, it was kind of, <laughs> uh, it wasn't photorealistic because I mean, he's supposed to be a hedgehog. I've never seen a hedgehog that looks anything like anything yeah. Sonic's ever looked like, um, even in the video games and cartoons and, and, and comics and stuff. But yeah, he had like, it, the weirdest thing for me was the teeth. Yeah. Like, they were like <laughs> human teeth or something. It was just like... Yeah. Now I have to think about his teeth. Why are you making me think these things? And instead of having gloves, right, like he just kind of has white Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I've tried so hard to block out (laughs) as much as as humanly possible. Anyway, the the point of the news item, I guess, is that, like, for once, there's been all this fan backlash, and the production company has said, oh, we're going to go back and change these things because the fans don't like it, which, on one hand, I think sets a pretty bad precedent. Oh, it is dangerous. <laughs> and on the other hand, well, maybe it's bad in both ways. Like, great that they listen to the fans, but I also think that... <laughs> I already said how I feel about Jim Carrey <laughs> just based on the trailer. Like, I don't know that fixing this character, like the visual effects, is going to um, fix see. the movie <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and make any real. Yes, that's kind of that's kind of the, they did bump the release date back three months, yes. which is nice because which I was is really good for the people doing the visual yes. effects because man, they would have been like overtime for months. Absolutely, <laughs> I was worried that they were going to have to be putting in like hundred hour weeks yeah. and not being properly compensated, which, isn't which would be really bad. Like that happens with video game stuff a lot. Um, yeah. There was a recent recently with Red Dead Redemption Two. There was a story that came out like right before release. Their their employees were working like sixty seven hour weeks to try to get it out in time, and yeah. it was like that's not a good like it was written as like this. We work so hard, and it's like that's not it's not good though. Like you can't yeah. just like squeeze your team and your creative people until you know to make that kind of stuff happen. That's what I was worried about, and then they pushed it back. But like you said. That's a really dangerous precedent. We are living. We are literally living in the time when a million people want to rewrite Game of Thrones season eight. And, and Last have, Jedi. Yes, <laughs> and there's guys who. Did you see? I don't know if you saw this, but there was somebody who went in and removed all women from Last Jedi and released uh, a, a cut of the movie where it was only men in Last Jedi. It was forty five. It was forty five minutes long, and. My favorite was in response to that. Somebody went through and cut out all the times men were in Saving Private Ryan and only put scenes where women were in it, and it was less than a minute long. And so it was like, yeah, see how Let's dumb do it that is. For like <laughs> yeah. How many movies in film history? But like the whole point was like how dumb it is that you would like go through and like remove yeah. stuff and and be like so like. But we're living in a really dangerous time of fans who feel entitled <laughs> to the things. the internet. <laughs> well, and, and it's that, but it's also this, like, entitlement to, like, yeah. this isn't how I thought it was going to be, so you need to So I'm it. unhappy with Yes, that. as opposed to just being like, oh, that's kind of disappointing that that's not the way that it went. Oh, well, I'll move on with my life. Yeah. There's kind of this, like, <laughs> I mean, I say this as, like, a guy with a podcast who complains about things a lot, but it is, like... <laughs> It's really dangerous to be like to kind of sh- give into that. It's kind of like yeah. giving into terrorists almost. <laughs> like I don't want to. That's an obviously like a really like live 
<laughs> real world extreme. Fate. It's a little bit of an extreme, but it is like, well, now anybody can just be like, well, we hate this design, we need to fix it. And and then yeah. it's like, well, if you don't, then we're just not going to see your movie. And it's like this yeah. kind of power play that I don't think is good that like you can allow people, because people have bad opinions. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, we live in a world that lives in, movies live and die by their box office numbers, uh-huh. which I don't. That's not great either. <laughs> no, it's not great. I mean, that is how we had 23 Marvel films and stuff like yep. that. And, you know, uh, yeah, so it's that, like, so. It, it's it's really worrying to me that there that there is that kind of, not just like, oh, we, we're going to fix this character. Like, when the backlash came out, it was like, oh, don't worry, we'll fix him. And then it was, oh, well, we'll postpone the movie. Because yeah. that one, to me, while I'm happy that the visual effects guys won't have to work, like, like 100-hour weeks, I'm glad that happened. It's also dangerous that now the fans can just be like, just push the release date back. That's what they did for Sonic. Yeah. And it's like, now they that's can also they can demand yet. things and also be like, well, just push the movie back. And it's like, that's not really how things work. Sonic the Hedgehog wasn't going to make three times more money because Sonic was... Not off-putting. Right. Like, that wasn't <laughs> going to be what happened. Um, I was actually discussing this with Courtney the other night when we were talking about the CG for the Disney live-action remakes that they've been doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we haven't seen Aladdin yet. We're going to see I Monday. have. I have some feelings about the CGI <laughs> on that. <laughs> um, but, like, we, we discussed, like, I was, you know, she was like, I don't understand why they can't just do it, like, really good, like, Avengers level. And I was like, well... It's because the investment they would have to put into the movie... It would, would need to make a whole lot more money. <laughs> well, that's it. Is Yeah, it would have to, but it's only going to make so much. But it's going to make a lot. Yeah. So if they can go, it's probably going to make like a billion dollars. And if we spend a lot of time on the CG, it might make $1.1 billion. And it's like, that would be nice. But we'd also have to spend... You know, four million dollars in order to get it better. Yeah. So we're losing. You know, that's not worth our investment. And so it's like, that's kind of the same thing with Sonic. It's like it wasn't going. It's not going to now make so much more money. Yeah. Because Sonic isn't a freaky character. Yeah. He's still. It's still a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. It's still a video game movie. It's still going to be bad. Like. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. It's going to be bad. Those are my feelings. <laughs> so it's like, it's really unfortunate that like there was that kind of power given to angry people on the internet because yeah. they should not have that kind of power. Agreed. So that's a thing that's happened. Yep. <laughs> awesome. So let's launch into Elton John. All right. I don't have no, a good no. segue for Sonic <laughs> Elton John, so there you go. Yeah, Sonic <laughs> runs really fast and Elton John's Playing goes really fast. I don't know. Yes. I'm going from my I'm going with my knowledge of Elton John and the Simpsons. That's kind of what I'm going with on this. Yeah. Well, he did write songs really fast. We'll get to that. I don't know. I got nothing for a segue. But anyway, um, Andrew, what was your first exposure to Elton John? Um, my parents love Elton John. My dad, one of my dad's very favorite albums is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Nice. Um, and so it was just always kind of around. My first song I remember liking of Elton John's was Crocodile Rock. Um, yes. And I think Benny and the Jets as well. Because those are the fun ones to sing when you're a kid. Because yeah. there's the... Yep. Rock is really fun to sing. And then there's the <laughs> b- 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 Benny and the Jets. Yep. So it's like, 
Those were fun. But it was always just kind of in the background somewhere in our family because my my parents love Elton John, so it was just always always there. Great. Well, um, (laughs) as is always what I say when we have a music episode. I didn't listen to, like, a wide variety of music as a child, I feel like. But, um, so I think, like, probably many people my age, my first exposure to Elton John was The Lion King. Oh, okay, sure. Um, I, that is going to come up again because, <laughs> yeah, he's worked a lot in film and theater. But oh, I, I thought you were going to say with Candle in the Wind and Princess Die, because that song is literally everywhere. Yeah, um, when did that come out, though? She, what, or when did, she, yeah, Princess Di... You know, I'm going to find out right I now. I was alive, but I was Princess pretty young, right? Diana. Oh, it's the first one that pops up. Wow. Thanks, Google. Um, I do have that down somewhere. Oh, 1987. Oh, okay. So it was, it was after Lion King. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... Lion King was everywhere, but that song was everywhere. Yes. But I'm sure we'll talk about that. <laughs> um, and then also, I mean, even his songs, I think, are so, um, I don't know, come up so often in pop culture that, you know, you've heard him a bunch, even if you don't think like, oh, I'm like a big Elton John fan. Mm-hmm. I We've all heard him a bunch. I just wrote down a few um like Moulin Rouge, so you've got mm. your song kind of worked into there. Um, right. 27 Dresses, which is a movie I don't really care for, um, even though, again, like James Marsden, but... Um, is he in that one? I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen 27 Oh, really? He okay. is the romantic... Oh, uh, Yeah. Ooh. Her guy. Catherine Heigl and James Marsden. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I know. Wow. <laughs> but the, the mi- best the mid- part... The mid-2000s were a crazy time. <laughs> But the best part of that movie is when they sing karaoke to Benny and the Jets. Sure. You really never seen... Okay. You need to go back and watch that. And Ellen Chanted, they sing Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Anyway. In That's a in lot Chicken of Little as well. That, is it? Yes. I hate that movie. Sorry, Zach, Maybe that's. I was no, trying I, to it's think. Not that I hate, there are I don't other. It, it's fine. And maybe in Shrek too. There are other like. There's some animated movies that use that one. Anyway, it comes up a lot. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we'll just. I'll just launch into it. Kind of his history. Um, I'll say that I focused more on his career in music rather than Elton John's personal life. Um, because mm-hmm. I figure. Rocket Man because it's a biopic is gonna like gonna go cover that. a lot of that. Sure. Um, but I'll mention a couple things. But yeah, more focus on his career. Um, so Elton John was born Reginald Kenneth Dwight. Um, obviously not as much of a, a star name. <laughs> I don't <laughs> imagine him being Reginald Dwight. Um, but he was born in 1947 in Middle Essex. Um, so in London. Um, he was raised mainly by his mother and his maternal uh, grandmother because his father um, was kind of absent, didn't really care about his children for lack of, like, by all accounts, with Elton John talking about it, that kind of seems to be the case. Um, he wasn't really supportive of his music career. Um, his parents divorced when he was younger, but um, Elton John was interested in music from a really early age. Um, he started learning piano on his grandmother's piano um, and started taking formal lessons at age seven. So, like, from a super young wow. age, was already, like, becoming proficient in piano. Um, at age 11, he won a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music. Um, 
and yeah, so then let me make sure I'm following my whole thing. <laughs> um, his yeah, dad was in the Royal Air Force um, and wanted him to follow like a more traditional career, like being a banker or something of the sort. Um, and so we'll kind of talk about later on, but, um, Elton John, I mean, if you've ever seen Elton John, I think he's pretty well known for wearing like pretty glitzy outfits, really Very big flamboyant, flamboyant yeah. costumes. Um, I just imagine him with like those big glasses with the sparkles on them, like, yes. at, a ban- like at a bank line, like, <laughs> which I'm trying to, I'm trying to like <laughs> find a pair to buy so I can wear them to rock again <laughs> and be in, in, in costume. Nice. Um, anyway, um, he's kind of cited that at least in part to like, he had a more restrictive upbringing. So then once he got older and moved out from under his dad's thumb was like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> like, um, a lot more flamboyant. Um, he, at 15, so it seems his mom and his, um, stepfather were a little bit more supportive though and helped him, um, get a job in a nearby pub where he was a weekly pianist um, at age 15. I guess that's kind of young to be <laughs> performing at a young. pub weekly. But yeah. um, he went just by Reggie um, and he would play standards, but then some of his own songs as well. Um, this I did not know and I love this so much. Um, so he, you know, he grew up on a lot of like rock and roll and so from a young age was like, that's kind of the direction he was heading in. Um, really uh, admired Buddy Holly. And so he started wearing horn rim glasses to imitate Buddy Holly, even oh, though okay. he did not have a problem with his eyesight, <laughs> uh, but wore these glasses so often that he ruined his eyesight by wearing like the wrong prescription. And so now he needs them. Um, so Elm John has said that like, he hopes that no one tries to imitate him and then ruins his eyesight. But um, so while that was happening, he also formed a band with his friends called Bluesology. Um, kind of, well, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit too. So like, as that band was kind of taking off and he's getting work as a pianist and whatnot, um, he left school at the age of 17. So before his A-level exams, which I guess is kind of the American equivalent of like high school graduation, um, to pursue his career in music. And so Bluesology um, in the mid-60s was touring as a supporting band for musicians like the Isley Brothers and Patti LaBelle, so um, pretty famous names at the time. So he was getting work that way. Um, and then in 1967, good old Reginald, um, answered an ad from Ray Williams at Liberty Records. Um, and Williams, so I guess when he went into interview or whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, Williams gave him lyrics from a songwriter who also answered that same ad. Um, and it was Bernie Topin, who hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but Bernie Topin, so wrote lyrics and then, um, so Reginald writes, uh, music to those lyrics. And this begins like a decades long partnership between Elton John and Bernie Topin. Um, he, I mean, these songs, I guess, because Elton John is the performer, like he sings them. I think he's the bigger name, but Bernie Topin like wrote all those songs. So when you think of any of those lyrics, like, from that guy's brain so he's really just as you know instrumental in um this decades-long career 
Um, so just like that, <laughs> they become partners. Um, and a few months after that point, um, Reginald Dwight starts going by Elton John as an homage to two of the members of Bluesology. Um, so Elton Dean was on the sax. And if you've seen the Rocketman trailer, um, they kind of, who, who knows how realistic it is, but they sort of have this scene of him going, oh, I'm going to go by Elton. And his band member says, well, that's my name. It's like, I know. I'm just going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then the vocalist was uh, Long John Baldry. So we get Elton John. Hmm. From that. That's an awesome name. Long right? Time That's pretty great. <laughs> Sounds like a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, um, the two of them join uh, DGM Records, which stands for Dick James Music. So Dick James, uh, you know, his comp- company publishes music. Um, at this point, most notably, was publishing the Beatles songs. I don't think he did that, like, throughout the Beatles' whole career. But, um, yeah, so pretty you know well-off guy you would imagine um so they join in as staff songwriters um writing material for different artists and um i'm gonna mention this on a later episode but i'll bring it up again i recently saw um the musical beautiful about carol king um and just listening to that musical i didn't realize you know back in i guess this is the 60s right um like it was very common to have record companies that they had all these people sort of on staff writing hits and then performers would perform them. And now you have like more overlap between like a lot of performers write and then perform their songs. Um, it was more of a like factory kind of situation back then. Um, so that was the deal. They were writing material and then handing it off. Um, but in 1968, obviously, um, like Elton John, had performed before was a very talented pianist and singer so um he they were going to i guess like what they were writing before were kind of these like boppy like things that would just become hits and weren't all that complicated but um they were going to start recording like more complex songs that elton could then sing um record and then send out um, so in 1969, they released, um, Elton, I guess, released his first album, uh, Empty Sky. Um, that, and then in 1970, it's crazy, um, like the amount of music that he has produced, yeah. um, over time. It's wild. Actually, I'll quiz you now, Andrew, how many studio albums do you think, from 1969 <laughs> until now, has Elton John released? And well, this the isn't jokes... including, like, greatest hits compilations or any of that. Well, the joke's on you, because I've been scrolling through his Spotify <laughs> for the last, like, five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's taken me forever to get down to the bottom. I think it's, like, 27 or something like that. It's 30. Okay. Very close. That was good. I, in writing all these down, I'm like, holy crap, how does one produce? Yeah. And mm. at the beginning, it was, you know, like like two three records a year (laughs) which is an unbelievable amount of music they're producing but anyway so in 69 we get empty sky um it doesn't really take off then 1970 the follow-up album is just his self-titled elton john um there the first single from that is called border song but it peaked at 92 on the billboard hot 100 so i mean wasn't doing that great in the U- UK. He seemed like promising, but in the US, it like all really wasn't taking off. 
Um, so then what happened? Um, then we get to the Troubadour concerts. So at this point, he's got two albums out, but doesn't have like very much success. Um, all of the American labels have passed on him, except for U and I Records, which at the time, um, most notably, was home of uh, Neil Diamond's music. Mm. Um, so you and I, um, they planned these concerts at the Troubadour in LA in 1970. Um, they filled the Troubadour with, um, like, really well-known musicians that were in L.A., um, including Neil Diamond, of course, and Quincy Jones, Linda Ronstadt, and I cannot pronounce her name ever, um, <laughs> Brian Wilson, and Mike Love uh, from the Beach Boys, a bunch of other people. Um, so he performs these shows. Um, it was eight shows in six nights. Um, this is the part I'm really excited to see recreated in the movie because um, he was a huge smash. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like if he if that hadn't gone well, that could have been the end. But right. these were so awesome that it just kind of launches him into stardom automatically. Um in the New York Times, critic uh, Robert Hilburn like writes this really passionate review about him. Um, Rejoice, rock music has a new star, is mm. what it said. And so um, that was so exciting. And then he gets his first big hit, uh, which is Your Song. And I think this is where we should start playing little clips of sure. these. <laughs> All right. I'll bring that up here. I'm actually looking at that 1970 album right now. So Perfect. It's a little bit funny This feeling inside I'm not one of those who can easily hide I don't have much money But boy if I did I'd buy a big house where we both could live If I was a sculptor But then again, no Or a man who makes potions in a traveling show I know it's not much But it's the best I can do my gift is my song and this one's for you. I don't know how long to make those. So <laughs> I know this is the part where Courtney gets to figure out how to edit things. Um I mean just in case you don't do the like yeah, chorus of it, I guess, is I hope you oh, don't sure. mind. I hope you don't mind I that. that I put down in words. <laughs> mild, I hope you don't mind simple but now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down in the words How wonderful life is While you're in the world It's great. It's probably still one of his best ones. Yeah. In my opinion. Absolutely. Um, if there are any ones I don't mention, too, feel free to stop me. 
Um, so then after the Troubadour concerts, he releases an album that same year. Um, so again, two in one year. I'm still amazed by this because <laughs> like I was saying, oh, again, I'm... It's another episode that hasn't released yet, but Carly Rae Jepsen, four or five years to get an album out. <laughs> this is the reality of music nowadays. And back then, they were just pumping out music like crazy. Um, but anyway, he released the album Tumbleweed Connection um, that reached number two in the UK, um, number five in the US, um, so becoming much more popular. Um, in 1971, um, he releases three albums. So. We've got the soundtrack for the film Friends, which, so it seems like um, Bernie Taupin and Elton John had taken on this project um, before, like, their breakout moment. <laughs> and um, so that kind of releases quietly. Um, but then you've also got um, 171170. So it's a recording from a live radio broadcast um, from in the U.S. Um, apparently, <laughs> I guess the recordings of the broadcast became like people got bootlegs of them and mm -hmm. were selling them and so the record company realized they should just be making money off of this <laughs> and let, instead of letting people sell these bootlegs so that got released um and also in 1971 we get madman across the water which oh, includes singles sweet. uh what i don't know that i know this song is it oh leave on leave on oh leave on leave on might be my favorite elton john song play a bit I, of that then I i'm sure i've heard it song. but i feel like that's oh my goodness i'll be in he was born upon the two upon on a christmas day when the new york times said god is dead and the war's begun oh alvin tossing a hair of the sun today It's on my playlist. Uh, I have I call it '70s hippie rock, and it's on there with like Simon yes. and Garfunkel and the Turtles and Three Dog Night and stuff. <laughs> um, that one was uh, for people of our generation who may not have heard it. Um, was one of the songs sung by um, the Salt and Pepper hair guy on American Idol, the Soul Patrol guy. I can't remember what his oh. name is. That was one oh, of his. Dave that was one of his Taylor, Taylor Hicks. Oh yeah. He that was one yeah. of the that was one of his kind of breakout songs was when he sang that one, um, and that's kind of uh, for at least our generation is kind of where it may have come to prominence. Awesome, um, and that album that album also has "Tiny Dancer," Tiny which Dancer. I don't think we can avoid playing. Oh, I feel so real lying here. No one near, only you And you can hear me When I say softly Slowly On the close of time to dance Count the headlights on the highway 
that's a great one. Yay. <laughs> um, so then we get in 1972. We have Honky Chateau. Um, and this is his first album in the U.S. that goes number one. I love in all the stuff I was reading. It's always like the bar is when when is he successful in the U.S. <laughs> even though he's good. British anyway. Um, <laughs> but sorry for the <laughs> patriotism. I guess I don't. Know. Um, but not, yeah, I didn't. I didn't make that choice. That's not me. <laughs> I just, um, but yeah, so his first number one album, um, which kind of starts this streak of number one albums. Mm-hmm. Um, this one includes Rocketman, Rocket which I think we're going <laughs> to click. This is just like album after good album after good album it's, in a row, so amazing. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a long, long time till touchdown brings me around again to find. I'm not the man that think I am at home. Oh, no, no, no. That one's great too. Um, other notable ones on that album are Honky Cat, and I also really like Mona Lisa's Mad Hatters. Yes, that one's very good as well. Um, then in 1973, we've got the album Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player. Mm-hmm. Um, and with his first U.S. number one single, because again, doesn't matter if you top the charts until you do it in the U.S. Apparently. <laughs> Um, but that would be Crocodile Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, we can play a little bit, or Andrew sang it earlier. <laughs> I didn't sing it, so I didn't sing can... it earlier. I think I, think <laughs> I captured... The, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I captured the majesty of it. Um, Daniel is also an, mm-hmm. another good single from that one. Um, then, also, later in 1973, mm. um, we get the album Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which I would say is probably the most, like, um, beloved album of yes. Elton John. Yes, like I mentioned, it's my dad's favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that remained a number one for two months. Um, tons of great singles on here. Um, so we've got Benny and the Jets, Goodbye Yellowbrook Road, which I left a note on here. I mean, you already brought up American Idol, but my note was a number of American Idol contestants have completely destroyed this song for some reason everyone feels like they can sing that but it's i feel like it's really hard to get that um anyway you know what part i'm talking about oh yeah um we get saturday nights all right for fightings another big one and then candle in the wind um the original release of it yeah yeah which you brought up um so originally was written um to honor marilyn monroe who Mm -hmm. had died several years earlier um which which one of these do you want? <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, I think we can do Candle in the Wind later when we. Uh, there's probably a re-release of it somewhere. Um, so maybe Benny and the Jets. Probably. I, I did like sing that one too. Maybe I'll do like, let's do Goodbye Little Rick Road. That one's it's the titular song.
part that I assume that most American Idols because it goes would. high but yeah. it's also like if you don't have a note to follow that mm-hmm. yeah I guess well, it's, that's difficult and it's such an ethereal like feeling yeah. part that it's like you can't just like shout it it has to be you have to be able to hit it but also just kind of be like really light and airy with it when when you're getting up that high you really either have to belt it or go falsetto and yeah, yeah so um Great. I also put on here, um, also in 73 was the standalone single, Step Into Christmas, which is yes. a Christmas song I really like. <laughs> um, He's got a whole yes. uh, Christmas album around yep. that later um, <laughs> that is kind of built around Step Into Christmas. So. Yep. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then um, around this time, Elton John creates his own label, um, the Rocket Record Company. Um, and he, you know, has, he releases other people's records on that label, including Kiki D, who later, um, he'll duet with on Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Um, but he actually doesn't release his own albums through his label. Um, he takes an $8 million contract with, uh, MCA Records. Um, and this just shows the height of his popularity here that, um, MCA Records reportedly took out a $25 million insurance policy on his life. Um, so they had a lot riding on Ellen John. Yes. Um, and that's like, that's 1973. So that's like some hefty cash to be putting down. Oh, yeah. Um, in 74, we get Ellen John's, Elton John's greatest hits. So the first of many, many, many. greatest and hits. And it's not, I know, and it doesn't even have some, like I'm looking at the next one in 1974. And it's got some great ones on it that I'm like, oh, I guess that wasn't in his greatest hits album yet. Yeah. Um, so many of those come out. I actually got um, his newest, like, greatest hits type album for my birthday on vinyl. So oh, awesome. there's been, like, so many different iterations of that over time. But mm-hmm. um, around this time, too. So he collaborated with John Lennon on a few songs. Um, I believe, um, right, um, Elton John was doing a cover of, I think it was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah, that's on um, on Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Oh, well, there uh, you go. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds uh, from Elton John. Cool, maybe I'm skipping ahead of myself a little bit. Um, and then um, there was a song on John Lennon's album, now I'm not going to remember what it was. This is where <laughs> we need Carla, our Beatles expert. But, um... Notable here, though, then, is that the pair of them perform I Saw Her Standing There um, at what ended up being one of John Lennon's last major live performances. They performed those two songs, and then I Saw Her Standing There. Mm-hmm. Um, in 74, we also get the album Caribou, um, 
I guess biggest singles on that would be The Bitch is Back. I really like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, um, which was popular at the time. But then I guess uh, in 1991, uh, he duets on that song with George Michael. Right. And it becomes a hit all over again. So mm-hmm. maybe we wait on that one a little bit. <laughs> bring that back in. Step Into Christmas is also on that album as well. So it got a main album release. Yay! I didn't realize until this Christmas how how much I like that song and wanted in my like rotation of Christmas songs. Uh-huh. Um, I'll I'll bring this up just because so um I've been listening to on Spotify they have like a Rocket Man playlist that's not what's in the movie but is right. the actual Elton John song so you can kind of get prepared for the ones that'll be in the film. Um, Pinball Wizard was on there, and I'm like, wait a minute, that is not an Elton John song. I'm confused. Anyway, so it's a song from The Who, but Pete Townsend um, asked Elton John, so they were doing um, a film adaptation of the rock opera Tommy. Yes. Um, I love The Who. I absolutely love The Who. Oh, good. You can give more context (laughs) to me. I always feel like such a noob when we do these music ones. Um, But yeah, so they asked Elton John to be in this film, um, Mm -hmm. and he performed Pinball Wizard, so that cover Mm -hmm. also kind of pops up on his greatest hits list. So good. Um, So yeah, 75, and we get the album you mentioned, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, which is more autobiographical. Um, Yeah, his songs, I guess up until that point, didn't seem um, as personal or didn't seem to be as, like, grounded and... I don't know, like specific yeah, Cord- experiences. Yeah, and I were discussing this. We listened to Elton John the other day, and we noticed how many of his early songs were about like him singing about his relationships with women, and that's obviously not yeah. really a thing. So it was like, well, yeah, he's probably writing that because that's what you wrote to get published. You wouldn't necessarily be, you know, writing about your relationships with other men if you wanted to go anywhere in the music industry. Yeah. So yeah, it does. It does seem to kind of turn more autobiographical and less like I don't want to say generic love songs because they're not generic they're very good but obviously ones that he wrote maybe not or um oh I completely forgot his name what was the guy that wrote that he met up with and then he wrote all the songs and all that um what was we just talked about Bernie yeah yeah Bernie told maybe he wrote those and like Elton John performed them rather than yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, so. and that can lead us into, again, I said I didn't put in like a whole lot about his personal life, but of note, especially because of the time. So um, in the late 60s, Elton John um, had been engaged to a woman and then he, I guess that didn't work out, but in, let me make sure I get all the dates right... 1984, now I'm really skipping ahead. <laughs> I'll just say, in 1976, he came out as bisexual um, in an article or an interview with the Rolling Stone. Um, so I guess that is kind of in conjunction with that album, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that was around the time that um, he came out about his sexuality. Um, later on, so um, he married a, a German recording engineer. Because she's German, do I have to try and pronounce her name? Because we know I'm <laughs> going to slaughter it. Anyway, got married in 84. Um, but when he got divorced in 88, like a little bit after that, kind of came out and said, I'm comfortable being gay. And um, so he's been a real advocate for that community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, after that album um, was the end of the Elton John band, so Elton John dismissed like the musicians that had been playing with him. Um, but years down the road, they would come back. So I guess his sound kind of changed a little bit. That bit, um, the band came back later on. Um, 75, we have the album uh, Rock of the Westies. 76, I'm just gonna, there is so much material Sorry. that it's like, oh, yeah. I won't even bring up singles from all of them because <laughs> we could like spend days talking about this. Um, in 76, we have uh, Here and There was released, which is a live album, and then Blue Moves. Um, from that one, um, I guess the big single is Sorry Seems to Be the Hardest Word. Mm -hmm. um, but let's skip on that same year, um, released as, I think, just a single. I don't know if it, it appears on later albums, but um, is the duet with Kiki D, um, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Should we play a little bit of that one? Yeah, it's not on these albums here, so I just need to find it. Yeah, that's, I was wondering if it popped up. It's on a greatest hit somewhere, I'm sure. But yeah, I it's think at the time it was released oh, on its own. All right, here we go. When I had read, who, who knows how accurate this is, though? Elton John announced he was retiring from performing, but I feel like either what I read was inaccurate or that was just a fake out like so many other performers. <laughs> so many other, Probably the latter. This tour is supposed to be his very last one that he's on currently. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see if we'll that see sticks, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... For whatever reason, Elton John was going to be um, releasing uh, less music. He's still producing an album a year, which is still a lot of music. But mm -hmm. um, so his songwriting partner um, and him kind of like break up. Uh, Bernie starts working with other artists, um, and they're not just like a full time team. Um, just to run through the album so they're on here we have greatest hits number two in 77 i will stop mentioning greatest hits mm -hmm. albums after that because there are a billion of them um a single man was in 78 victim of love was in 79 which has uh which has a cover of johnny be good on it like you were saying Ooh, yeah um yeah that's a good one um 21 and 23 in 1980 the fox in 81 and jump up in 82 um seems i just the general impression over that time was like, I he's Elton John's still popular, but there weren't there weren't any like super notable songs I found in those. It seems like not really like showstoppers kind of, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, not as strong as the album, like 
what those six, seven albums in a row that it was just like hit after hit after hit. Mm-hmm. Um, around this time, too, uh, Elton John becomes one of the first Western artists to perform in the Soviet Union or to tour in the Soviet Union. Um, and then in 79, which I guess backtracking a little bit, but Elton John and Bernie like reunite and start writing some songs together, but it isn't until 83 where they once again collaborate on a full album, which I'm guessing is why on that album in 83, we now have like really recognizable singles again. Um, so this album was too low for zero. Um, notable singles on there, or I guess that's why they call it the blues. And my favorite, I'm Still Standing. Can we play a yeah, little, little bit of that play. one? Mm-hmm. You can never know what it's like. Your blood like when it freezes just like ice. And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you. You wind up like the red you hide. sort of have they actually saw a lot of it in a doctor's waiting office once okay. i went i had to go to the doctor and it was on yeah they watched it so they recognize it from that okay <laughs> they um so taryn edgerton who's playing elton john and rocket man um is in that movie as i haven't actually seen it but what it's like american idol with animals and i guess seth MacFarlane's trying to save something muppet style i think is maybe. what it, i don't know but Taron Edgerton is a gorilla in it, and his like final number is "I'm still standing." So that was what gave me hope in Rocket Man. And I'm like, oh, this guy can actually sing, and he's already sang Elton John, so he's got like the register to do it. Anyway, that was that's a fun cover. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, we have a whole bunch of albums: um, Breaking Hearts in '83, Ice on Fire in '85, Leather Jackets in '86. Um, Reg Strikes Back, kind of a call to his birth name, Reginald, um, in 88. Sleeping with the Past in 89, the one in 92. Stop me if any of those have songs that you're scrolling through. I'm, you're well, like, I'm, trying to, yeah, I'm trying to read through them. And like, <laughs> I recognize a lot of these from, like, my parents really liking them, but they also really liked, like, they like the, the biggest ones, but... I also really liked some of his smaller stuff. Sleeping with the Past has Sacrifice, which is one of my fa- my family's favorites. Um, and then, I want to say... Oh, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's Part 2 was on Red Strikes Back. Um, uh, just trying to run through this really quick. Um, oh. 
Sad song, Say So Much from Breaking Hearts is another one that was played around my uh, my house quite a bit. Anyway. Awesome. So that was the one. Okay. Oh, and then duets is the next. Yeah. Yes. That played at our house a lot. Any duets that we need to... Um, not that I can, they're all pretty dang good. Okay. <laughs> That's where the, don't let the sun go down on me at, Wem- at Wembley Arena was with George Michael. So we play a little bit of that one? Sure. That it's a live version, so apologies. friends are for um this is where once again i say i have watered this all down (laughs) to (laughs) not include like it's fun i'm like really critical of bohemian rhapsody in part for that reason for like watering down (laughs) freddie mercury's life just suffice it to say i like i think this biopic will cover a lot of that but um i Okay, so this single, <laughs> um, a cover of a Rod Stewart song, was released as a charity single for AIDS research and prevention. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, on here it says, Ellen John's kind of quoted as saying, you know, I'm lucky to have avoided the AIDS a- epidemic um, because he took risks in that era that he maybe shouldn't have. And, you know, he had, he was friends with Freddie Mercury and a lot of these musicians mm-hmm. that um, had passed away from AIDS and, or, yeah. Um, Mm. Anyway, so he was, um, 
you know, had a personal investment in that, um, in AIDS research. And so with this song it was performed with, um, Dionne Warwick, uh, Gladys Knight, and Stevie Wonder. Um, and I, <laughs> like, no offense to the song. I was playing this song, and I'm like, telling my mom, no offense to Gladys Knight and everyone else involved with the song, but that one I'm kind of like, eh. It's, a, it's a little bit, eh. Do you? I like that one. Okay. That's just, yeah. I will I mean, not be. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> this is Elton John wins his first Grammy with this song. Um, I'm, Obviously, he's won a lot since. Yes. Um, so, there's that. What else? Now I'm skipping to... Wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't 1993 also be Lion King time? 1993, 90, Because... Yes. He and Tim Rice... 94. That's right. Team up for the Lion King soundtrack in 94. So, we're skipping to that. <laughs> um, also... Well, Duets, Duets was 93, so I assumed that was the next one. But, uh, but yeah. you have the list, so I don't... Nope, I skipped right on to 94. Um, the other thing that happened in 94 is um, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame his very first year that he was eligible to oh, be sure. inducted in. So um, I didn't know, so I'll just say it's um, you're able to be inducted into the Hall of Fame 25 years after the release of your first record. Mm-hmm. Um, so right when he was eligible, he got in there. Um, yeah, so 94 is The Lion King. Um, we, I mean, the... Or the live action version of Lion King's coming out later this year, so, we're so we'll talk, talk a lot we'll about talk in depth about that. I'm sure. um, and we'll have, I think, our plan was to do a Disney song bracket, so we'll see where song. Elton John's uh, music stacks up against Oof. other ones. Um, but yeah, um, obviously, like really big. Um, he wins an Oscar for best original song for um, "Can You Feel the Love Tonight," but I believe. Akuna Matata and Circle of Life were also nominated. <laughs> so, were they? Yeah. Wow. It was just like complete domination of Lion King yeah, um, in the music fields. Um, yeah. I Because I care about award stuff, he's really close to an EGOT. He just needs an Emmy. And I feel like someone just needs to say, just write one song for a TV show or like... A musical of his needs to go on like a live TV version or something, and then he would win. And anyway, (laughs) Um, anything more to say about the Lion King? We're gonna talk about. We'll talk. Yeah, I'm sure we'll. Yeah, we'll save that. I'm sure. Um, And we get Made in England um, in '95, Big Picture in '97. Let me know if there's anything really prominent in there we need to talk about. But um, in '90, it's all good, but. Yeah, that's that's the case on all of them. With like an hour to do, I feel like I'm hitting like major, like these are the songs everyone knows. I guess. Um, in '98, um, Elton John's knighted by Queen Elizabeth II, so he's Sir Elton John. Um, I'll also mention to make sure we get a little bit of his personal life in there as uh, backtracking, but. In 93, he began a relationship with David Furnish, who is his husband today. Um, And they have two children together. And dang it, I just read their names, but one of them, now I'm not going to find it again. Oh, Zachary Jackson, Levon, Furnish John. So get get a little name check for that song in there. Um, And Elijah Joseph Daniel, John. So, Furnish John. So... Work a little bit of the song titles in. Um, 
So in 99, we get Aida. So um, then Elton John kind of makes another shift over into um, like writing music for musicals. Um, that uh, musical wins a Tony for Best Original Score. So that's why he's really close on that one. Um, I haven't seen Aida. Do you know anything I, I about it? it? Okay. <laughs> I was like gonna talk about it, but since I honestly couldn't tell you a single thing about it, we can probably just skip on to the next one. I'm sure the will hit musicals down the road and that will be one of them. Yeah. Um, that was written with Tim Rice who also did um, lyrics with him for Lion King. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, yeah, talking more about movie stuff, he also did soundtracks for The Muse, the Road to El Dorado, which this is really just an excuse for me to talk about the Road to El Dorado, which is a criminally underrated animated film. Yeah. Um, it's not a Disney one, which is why is I not. think it gets... It's so good. <laughs> I, have a, I have a really vivid memory of the Road to El Dorado, but it's, it's so... I, um, I took German when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that my teacher would do at the end of the year was show us a movie in German to see how much we could like sit there and kind of absorb. Mm-hmm. So we watched A Bug's Life, and at the yeah. beginning of A Bug's Life, <laughs> there's a trailer for The Road to El Dorado, <laughs> and it, yeah. I just remember uh, in the trailer, the one of the natives is like, you are not gods, and then one of them turns to the other one and he goes, you're not a god? But I remember <laughs> in German, he goes... Do this kind got and like for some reason this is like drilled <laughs> into my brain. Stuck in your head. Yes, drilled in. <laughs> so anytime anybody ever talks about the road to El Dorado, that's immediately what I think of. So that's great. Yeah, it's these two men that are in. Oh, see, now I'm not going to remember the plots of anything. They're impersonating <laughs> gods right. too, but what they're really just like. Thieves. Yeah, they're, they're just thing. thieves or something. I don't know. They're yeah. looking for the city of gold or something. I don't yeah. know. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently the plot does not matter for its greatness because now it's been a long time. Um, He's also more recently, as far as movies go, um, done music for Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. I did not know that either. Well. Yeah, which I'm assuming is just to take on Romeo and Juliet with gnomes, but I have never seen Romeo and Juliet. I'm pretty sure that James McAvoy is the lead in that. Yeah, he is. um, Emily Blunt is Juliet. Yeah, that's right. Um, for, but a little bit earlier than that, so Elton John wrote the music for Billy Elliot, um, the musical, and dang it, I love that one so much, Mm -hmm. so this is really just me mentioning it to say everyone should go and listen to that, because it's a delight, (laughs) um, but, um, they have this adorable, uh, one of Billy Elliot's friends, um, in it is just really, he dresses up and dresses and has this whole song about being yourself and I don't know I feel like maybe some of that is drawing on Elton John's personal experience of I mean all of Billy Elliot really if his father um was you know not really supportive of his musical career and his sexuality and whatnot like I think the themes of Billy Elliot this little boy that comes from a coal mining town and just wants to dance like Mm -hmm. really fits into you know experiences from his personal life so um, <coughs> then we have a bunch more albums. <laughs> there are a lot. Um, Songs from the West Coast in 01, Peachtree Road from 04, The Captain and the Kid in 06, The Diving. Uh, you, you, did, you jumped over one that I think, I feel like oh. you should really bring up. 
2006 Elton John's Christmas Party, <laughs> which starts off with Step Into Christmas, and then it's just uh, it's a compilation of a bunch of different Christmas songs for different people. So uh, Spotlight on Christmas from Rufus Wainwright. Nice. Um, doesn't often snow at Christmas from the Pet Shop Boys. Nice. Uh, the Man with All the Toys by the Beach Boys. <laughs> um, Otis Redding's Merry Christmas Baby. Uh, Christmas Island by Jimmy Buffett. Uh, 2,000 Miles by The Pretenders. December Will Be Magic Again by Kate Bush. New Year's Day by U2, Calling It Christmas by Joss Stone. Um, That's a really good line. A Change of Christmas, Say It Isn't So by The Flaming Lips. Jingle Bell Rock by The Ventures. It's, uh, yeah, it's got quite the, uh, quite the lineup on there, but yes. I mean, to be perfectly honest, Christmas music <laughs> isn't exactly my favorite because, you know, in the month and a half, two months that you're listening to it, it's just like the same songs and beats over and over uh-huh. that seems like one i should be listening to it seems a little more edgy if you want a good breakdown of christmas music go check out pop pop <laughs> culture's ultimate christmas music showdown that we that released for plug for you. <laughs> <laughs> we released it at christmas last year it wasn't even um, intentional it was with myself and with scott uh, and then my mom and my sister also came Is Step Into Christmas on it? Uh, we did not talk about Step Into Christmas. And I, and I did you feel... talk about Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time? As one of the worst ones. Yes, oh, we did. Uh, that's my other favorite. I, we all know I have horrible taste in music. <laughs> well, so no, there are a lot of people fine. who like it. I, I won't get into it here. Uh, we might get into it once we stop recording. Um... But I can't stand that song. But That's fine. I understand why people don't like it. I just really like it. Uh-huh. Um, All right, yeah, so we had Captain McKinnon in 06, right? That's, yes. Okay. Diving Board in 2013. Wonderful Crazy Night in 2016, which would be his most recent, like, new music. Mm-hmm. Um, there have obviously been Diamonds is the one that recently I yes. bought on vinyl. Um, yeah, any, um, any from there that you're... Not immediately really. like, man, we need to bring this up or no, else it'd def- be a travesty. We definitely hit the top ten of the most popular ones on Spotify. Oh, good. You um, know, we didn't play Candle in the Wind because I forgot to mention Princess Die again, but just uh, know that we'll sing a bar. You, everybody's, everybody's heard that song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, if, you've been, if you were alive in the 90s. And you lived your life <laughs> like a candle in the wind. And then uh, Parks and Rec did 5,000 candles in the yes. wind for little <laughs> Sebastian. <laughs> Um, I also, I had a weird moment where I listened to a lot of Harry Potter podcasts and okay. the height of Harry Potter, and on, was it MuggleCast or Wiki, Wikipod or one of those, that um, they did, like, they let everyone submit their Harry Potter, like, parodies of oh, sure. popular songs, and they had one about, it was like, oh, it, it took that one and made it about Dumbledore, <laughs> basically. Oh, okay. Um, there was actually a, uh, when Avengers Endgame came out, The mm-hmm. Ringer put out, uh, Avengers Radio, which was a bunch of popular songs with mm-hmm. the Avengers in them. And, nice. uh, one of them was Hold Me Closer, Carol Danvers. <laughs> so, uh, that was, Great. that was one of the only ones I remember. I don't remember all of them, but yes, that was in there as well. Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier that I remember most of my Elton John knowledge is from The Simpsons. Um, there was an episode that he Your was on. Your knowledge of everything is from the Yes, episodes. it really is. It really is. But there was an episode, uh, Apu is trying to make up, uh, to his wife for neglecting her. So in the week before Valentine's Day, he gives his wife increasingly, uh, big gifts. And it mm-hmm. angers all the other men in Springfield. Um, because, <laughs> because their wives are getting mad that Manjula's getting all this stuff. Yeah. And they're not. 
And so, in the build-up to Valentine's Day, they decide to sabotage his Valentine's Day uh, present to Manjula. They go to the, they follow him to the Springfield Airport, and uh, Elton John's plane just happens to be there because the chandelier was malfunctioning in his plane. <laughs> so he had to land in Springfield. So they all assume that Apu hired Elton John to come and sing for Manjula. So they lock Elton John in a dog carrier, <laughs> oh, no. uh, which leads to one of my favorite lines was. Uh, they induct him into some group. They're like, the Knights of Love and stuff. And he's like, oh, really? And they put him in the dog carrier and he's all, hazing the new guy, huh? Well, when I was knighted Sir Elton, the queen paddled me silly. <laughs> and oh, so, but then they leave him in the dog carrier. He eventually actually chews his way out. Because it turns out Apu's actual plan was to skywrite a message. And so they leave Elton John in a dog carrier um, that he eventually gets out of, and then he actually does go and performs for Apu and Manjula. Um, and he rewrites uh, your song to be about, uh, like, this one's from Apu instead of this one's for you. Aww. So, um, yes, it's very good. He's a fantastic... He gives Homer a Grammy for saying something nice to him, and Homer throws it in the trash. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's Aww. it's a great episode. That one has uh, a lot of great lines. It's from one of, It's from one of the seasons that's... That everyone says is bad, but I think that one is particularly good. So it seems like Elton John's really open about struggles he's had in his life, and like is willing to kind of make fun of himself a little bit yes. too. And so that's yeah. What's that's yeah? Good. What's great is he comes up to Apu, and Apu goes, "Elton John." He goes, "That's my name." Well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great. Um, yeah. Now, now they're talking about their parodies. Now the the office episode. It's the Dundies episode, and Michael. <laughs> what is Jim says something like, Michael parodied multiple songs, which has ruined them for me for life, <laughs> or something. But he does Tiny Dancer, and it's like, you have won a tiny Dundee. <laughs> um, so it's like sing it, Elton. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Someone starts giving him a hard time. That's yep. right. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, um, I think that's really all I've got. So I'm excited <laughs> for the movie of it, although, mm-hmm. like, maybe a little bit cautiously after Rohingya Rhapsody, we talked a lot about that. Um, the director, so it's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who um, picked up Bohemian Rhapsody and, like, finished it after Brian Singer didn't show up and was a Oof. pile yeah. of human garbage. Yikes. But, yeah, so. But by all accounts, it has premiered a can, and people seem to like it. At so. the very least, it's R-rated. So, like, <laughs> that's... A good sign. Well, yeah, a Freddie Mercury biopic really should have been R-rated. Yes. But, you know, so yeah. it's, uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe it will be better than yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody then. And again, like I was saying, Elton John seems really... Oh, but he's worked on... Um, not worked on a movie, I guess, but his, like... I participated in it to tell his mm-hmm. story and so and seems pretty open about like drug use in his past and so I don't mean to totally like overlook all those things just go and watch a movie about it so I don't have to talk about people's like <laughs> drug use and um, promiscuity and whatnot <laughs> things that make me feel more uncomfortable um, but yeah obviously like yeah crazy crazy amount of like hit singles that all of us mm-hmm. know, huge body of work. Um, mm-hmm. 
Elton John is now on a farewell tour, <laughs> so, but like a three-year farewell tour. Yes. So um, if you can catch him and you know love his music, there's a thing you can do. But I believe that my sister actually has tickets to that. She's very yeah. excited. All of her kids love Elton John and his music, mm-hmm. and so they are very disappointed that they are not going. But there was no way she was going to take her kids <laughs> to see Elton John's farewell concert. Oh, yeah, now that I'm, it's really recently that I've been like, oh, like, I know a lot of these songs, and now I should listen to more, mm-hmm. and so obviously, because I can't pronounce Leave on Right, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously I'm not, like, long-time fan, but there's a lot of good stuff there that people should. I, I remember there was a commercial with Rocketman, I feel like it was for, like, some car or something like that, um, where people were singing Rocketman. And the part right after Rocket Man, like I don't know what those words are. I, I definitely don't the, know. What those the whole are. part, the whole part, like the whole like gig of the commercial, the whole like the whole point was it was all these people are th- singing what they think it is. Yeah. So um, it's yeah, it's one of those things. Like I also saw that with. Uh, Def Leppard's "Pour Some Sugar on Me." The, <laughs> yeah. Somebody thought it was "Pour Some Shook Up Ramen." Oh, um, so that I was at least kind know of a commercial. Those um, words, but not the rest of the song. <laughs> but Come yeah, so it's like it it's, I don't know. If I yeah, it's very much a, like it's one of those things that everybody like knows about and stuff. Right. Like that, so. Well, and I think I, I so I think I mentioned at the beginning like Benny and the Jets is in um, Twenty Seven Dresses, and mm. they like an anniversary for that came up recently or something. They brought the cast together and. They were trying to figure out the words to, like, no one actually oh, knows sure. the words to <laughs> Benny and the Jets. <laughs> you just know the Benny and the Jets. Anyway. Well, great. I think that's all I've got. Yeah, Unless you have awesome. anything else to add. Um, Talk I, long I got my <laughs> I got my Simpsons references, so I think I'm good. Good. Every, <laughs> Courtney, now, you you have had an influence on Courtney, because now she brings it up every episode. I tell her I tell her you have to include it, because it's... My, it references everything. Well, that's my that's kind of my thing. When, when you guys were starting this podcast, mm-hmm. what, two years ago or whatever it was, yeah. um, I basically was like, I think that you can kind of quantify how if something's big enough. If it's been referenced on the Simpsons some, in some way. Because it's like, it really does, it is just kind of like this, it's the 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 catch-all for pop culture. Like, yeah. if the Simpsons have talked about it, then it's obviously big enough yeah. for it to have, like, reached everybody. So, that's, and I'm always <laughs> like, oh, there was a Simpsons about that. There was a, so, <laughs> yes, I have. Perfect. Well, great. Um... I, I think I'm stalling because I'm waiting for Courtney. Courtney's not here to wrap it up, and it's normally her that does it. Um, so thanks for listening. Thanks, Andrew, for being here. Of course. Um, you can, as always, follow us at, let's see if I can get it right, on Twitter at PC Footnotes, on Facebook at Pop Culture Footnotes, or you can check out our website, popculture-footnotes.com. Um, and you're always welcome to contact us um, if you have ideas for episodes, um, things, big pop culture uh, touchstones that you would like to know more about. So, yeah, awesome. <laughs>